Hello and welcome back to Pictorial on Relay FM. I'm Quinn Rose and I didn't go to art school, but I still love learning about art. And I'm Betty. I also didn't go to art school, but I also love learning about art all the time. And I learned a lot today that I'm going to share with you, Quinn. I'm very excited to hear it. I just put the title of, or what my working title right now anyway, for the podcast uh, in the title or in the show notes. And um, it's a topic that I've actually been wanting to talk about for a while. Um, I just wasn't, there's just so much information. But um, I would like to call it art and science. They are not so different. (laughs) Mm, This is an exciting topic. I want to start, or I'll kind of give you an overview of like what I'm going to do. Basically, I'm just going to show you some artworks that are done by artists or scientists or a combination of both. Um, And we're just going to talk about really the relationship between art and science and how these artists slash scientists interpret this relationship. Um, And then and then we can talk about it. (laughs) So there's obviously so many people we can talk about like there's there are so many different types of ways like science and art relate and are expressed or the ways science are expressed through art and it's been going on for all of history and we obviously don't have time to go through a history of that but um I just thought I'd show some uh people that I thought were significant throughout history so um I will start actually um just with a page that I just linked in and it's um it's a page uh that's kind of like an overview about this one particular artist slash botanist um her name is Maria Sibella Marion and I just thought if you want to kind of scroll through some of these artworks and um let me know what you think about them and if anything jumps out at you or if anything scares you because some of these pictures scare me but (laughs) anyway Immediately, love, love, love. I love botanical scientific illustrations. I have the botanical illustration of a mustard plant tattooed on my arm. Um, so just like I, I just love this style and like this uh, this sort of period in, in history of these kind of scientific illustrations. Um, and I also, I mean, I haven't read any of this so I don't know exactly what the context of uh, these works are but I do know that in the history of science botanical illustrations used to be extremely important because we didn't have cameras and so these illustrations that were made were the way that uh, students could learn how things looked like was by these artists making extremely accurate reproductions of them yeah totally and these images are examples from the works of the artists, um, like I mentioned, Maria Sibylla Marion, who was born in 1647, um, and so she was um, German-born, um, and she actually came from a family of artists. She took up drawing and painting in her childhood, and she was really um, interested in that. But then um, as she as she was growing up, she just became really fascinated by insects and she raised silkworms um, in her early teens. And I felt really connected to this because I also had pet silkworms. So, I, oh, my God, I did not know this about you. <laughs> I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I was like 
like eight or nine or something. Um, yeah, and I didn't become a botanist. Um, I, a lot of them died, and I was not very good at taking care of them. Um, but yeah, so she um, eventually she became someone like who investigated. Um, like hundreds of animal and plant species, um, or actually maybe hundreds or thousands. She was most well known for traveling to the um, South American country uh, Suriname, and it was she was one of the first um, like Europeans to go there to like really deeply study specimen and like plants and animal, like all kinds of all kinds of you know flora and fauna in Suriname. And she published a, a book in 1705, and it's a like really well-known book um and with like hundreds of Ill- and of illustrations of like insects of Suriname um and a lot of um other studies that she did well yeah so she lived in Germany for um a really significant part of her life but um she actually got divorced uh from her husband in 1670 and her and her two daughters moved to the Netherlands and I guess you know, she had to support herself and her daughters. So, you know, one of the things she did was do these illustrations and, you know, publish them. And again, eventually uh, she ended up just being known as the person who knows about all the flora and fauna in Suriname, um, but, you know, also did a lot of other works. She um, actually made a lot of contributions as well, um, as you alluded to before, like her uh, her drawings and the way she depicted insect process of like metamorphosis actually contributed to uh, big advances in the study of entomology, which is the study of insects um, in the 17th and 18th centuries. Um, so yeah, so of course, like this was someone who was basically just had art and science infused through her whole life, it seemed like, and, you know, also was um, a yeah, contribute a lot to some of these like early studies. And um, also I did read that when she traveled to Suriname, like it, she was one of the few, maybe the only person who went there without a male companion, which was very unusual at the time as well. Um, so yeah, and I think her works are great. Although some of the bug ones really scare me. <laughs> so. You who had silkworms are not a fan of all the bugs. So it's really funny because for some reason, silkworms, I thought they were like adorable because they were like kind of, I don't know, like squishy looking, but I'm not a big fan of most bugs. But for some reason, silkworms, I didn't think they looked scary. (laughs) So I don't know why. Bug prejudice. (laughs) Yeah. She does seem like a fascinating person. That is a very interesting arc for a life to have especially for a woman in the 1600s yeah I, I wanted to bring her up because again she was someone like who really I think like embodied both art and science throughout her career um but there was another person that I came across um from um like a little bit later on this, this is just a guy <laughs> so yeah um, do you know who this guy is? And it's totally okay if you don't. No, I do not know who this guy is. Okay, so that is uh, the fifth uh, American president, James Monroe. And I believe this is the official White House portrait of him. So I'm not going to talk about James Monroe at all. The person who painted this uh, this portrait of James Monroe is a guy named Samuel Morse. Have you heard of this person? I have heard of Samuel Morse. 
Yes. So, yeah, he, uh, yeah, do you know what he was, I guess, the most famous for? And apparently it was not the portrait of James Monroe. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, this port, <laughs> it's such a power move to be like, this is just some guy. And you were like, this is a U.S. president. <laughs> It's funny because I mean I didn't know what James Monroe looked like, but I can just be like I'm not American, so I don't have to know this. Um, no, I feel like I, I is is he like is if he really like related to Morse code? Is that what it is? Yeah. So Samuel Morse is the guy who invented Morse code. Okay. I yeah, was like, I yeah. definitely know that name, and I couldn't figure out. And then I was like, oh well, his last name is Morse, so that might be it. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, exactly. That's totally okay. Because I mean, I'm not super familiar with the technology of Morse code myself. Um, but yeah, so Samuel Morse uh, was someone who also like growing up was really interested in art and painting. He actually trained under this other artist um, called Benjamin West, who I might have talked about on previous podcasts at some point, but he was a really famous American-British painter um, at the London's Royal Academy of Arts, which Morse went there to train with him. And Samuel Morse is actually from Charlestown, uh, Boston, which is uh, very close to where I'm sitting right now, um, well, across the river. (laughs) So, but... um, I'm sick. sick. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So he... um, Anyway, he went to England to study with Benjamin West. Um, and he actually, uh, yeah, like for a while had kind of an art career. So he was painting these um, American presidents. Uh, he apparently also painted John Adams. Um, but then he, um, I have, I believe I have actually seen this next painting. I just popped in there in person before. And I can't believe I didn't make the connection at the time. Uh, but this is actually kind of a cool um Oh, yeah. Would you like to describe what you are seeing? This is pretty cool. It's called Gallery of the Louvre, and it is a painting of a lot of paintings. It is very uh, it's very meta, um, but kind of the bottom center are two people who are one of them seems to be holding a painting. I don't know if she's working on it or if she's going to hang it or something. And then she's sitting down and then there's a guy behind her that's pointing at the picture. The other people in the room are also working on paintings in different locations. And then the walls are just covered in artworks. Yeah. And the cool thing about this link I just sent you, this is the Wikimedia Commons uh, picture of this painting. And if you hover over the paintings on the wall in the painting, uh, it will actually say like what it is of. So, you know, it'll say like there's the Mona Lisa kind of in the bottom corner next to the doorway. And then, you know, you'll see there. Yeah, there's a Rubens piece. Basically, they're just like a lot of famous European artworks. And yeah, so this is Samuel Moore's painting of paintings. Um, And so, I mean, looking at these, I'm like, he he seems to be a pretty good artist, but I guess apparently he wasn't good enough compared to a lot of other really famous, well-known, like, you know, European artists at the time painting in this style. So he actually just didn't do so well as an artist, and then he eventually just kind of gave up. Um, so he, um, uh, I think, so he returned to the U.S. and he, uh, or he had previously studied philosophy and math at Yale. Um, so he decided, you know, 
art isn't really working out for me, so he turned to his his career to electromagnetics, which eventually led him to creating the telegraph and Morse code, um, which is you know what casual, he, yeah. So yeah, he's like, oh, this this ended up working out. Um, so it didn't seem like these two parts of his life related in the same way um, that it related for, for Marion. This is more like he was doing art and then he stopped and then he became like a, a scientist technology person. Um, but, but again, I think I, I feel like even though the art career didn't work out so well for him, you can see that, you know, somebody can be pretty talented at, art and painting but also like extremely talented with uh with scientific abilities so that's a very funny backup plan to have inventing morse code (laughs) yeah i know so it's kind of like like for me you know the silkworms raising didn't like didn't pan out so maybe i'll be known as the you know most interesting art podcaster (laughs) i don't know yeah, definitely a real title that they give out. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, anyway, so next one, I think I just linked you to an image, but I'll I'll link you to more pictures of this artist shortly. But I did just want you to look at this uh, to start and tell me tell me what you think of this particular artwork. This is very cool. This is a blue piece of art. Um, that the background is it's a it's vertical. It's vertically oriented and the background is a dark blue and then there are these designs on it um, that they look like organic shapes. They look almost like tree roots, I would say, but they're like kind of a, they're very light blue, white. Um, And then there's a large one in kind of the center and then there are smaller ones that look like they're floating above it. And then there is a label um, at the bottom which I assume is describing whatever this is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this, um, I did just want to correct something earlier that I said, because while I'm looking at this, I realized I called um, Maria Sibylla Marion a botanist before. I got it mixed up with this artist, who the artist of the work you just looked at, is a, is a botanist. Uh, Maria Sibylla Marion was a naturalist, um, so because she didn't just focus on plants, she also it was most well known for insects. But this specific artist we're looking at now um, did do most of um, her focus in botany. And sorry, my friend who's a botanist will probably kill me for like the ways that I'm describing it. I'm probably <laughs> saying a lot of things wrong. But so this is a cyanotype which is a type of uh, photography, actually, uh, that was only invented a a few years before this artwork that you're looking at um, was produced. This was a cyanotype that was made by the artist artist and botanist Anna Atkins in the mid-1800s. And so she was a um, a botanist who specialized in studying deep sea algae. And I know um, it's interesting because earlier you mentioned how before the invention of photography, um, there was really like the only way we could document plants and animal life is through drawing. And so this was around a period when photography was had become a thing. Um, so cyanotypes had was invented by Sir John Herschel and um, 
I think uh, Anna Atkins started using this technology a year after because she realized she can use this to document her findings in more accurate ways than sketching and drawing. Um, So anyway, so she ended up making these cyanotype impressions. um, uh, She ended up making hundreds of these like over uh, a decade and also ended up contributing to a lot of groundbreaking um, scientific discoveries about algaes um, and a lot of deep sea life. Um, so anyway, um, and so it's interesting because she was doing photography so early on and she picked it up so quickly because it was really helping with her work. Um, I, she is, as far as, um, I guess, in terms of evidence goes, the first female photographer is what um, I often see her listed as. And it's probably because she literally started doing it like as soon as it was invented. There may have been other women who also who also picked up photography around this time, but she was a you know well-known scientist. So her works are very well documented. Um, but in any case, um, you know, photography pioneer, and I think these uh, are very beautiful. I don't understand them, but they were very important. Yeah, that is really cool. Like, they, these don't even, these don't seem like a photograph because they just, and I know they're not like photographs in the same way that we have today, but they're still, there's some, they really do appear to be painted because they're so ethereal. I just put a couple of other links in the show notes, which show uh, a bunch more of her work. But yeah, they they look more like impressions. Um, and you'll see um, also sketches that she did, as well as actual pressings of plants that she's done. And the LG photos, again, like t- for us, look more like like artworks, <laughs> rather like, you know, closer to like paintings rather than photography. But it is technically considered photography is what I am told. Ooh, okay. I'm really excited to find out how this is science um, (laughs) because it, it just looks like an abstract painting. Uh, A a lot of it are these like long black. It, it looks like if you put ink on a long brush and then brushed the page, um, but then there are also these, these splotches of color of yellow and red and green um, and yeah, it's all very, it's all very abstract. It looks like a Kandinsky painting. You are on a very correct track. <laughs> so, so this is a painting by the artist. Um, so he, his artist name is Al Copley, um, but he's known also as a uh, doctor and medical researcher, Alfred Al Copley. Uh, so he, yeah, he was a, a German and Swiss medical doctor and researcher, and then he um, immigrated to the U.S. in 1939, and he actually founded and edited three scientific journals and published a lot of really in-depth research on the flow properties of blood and other biological fluids. Um, but then in um, when he while he was in America, he actually also decided he wanted to become an abstract expressionist painter. And so he shortened his name to Al Copley. And he co-founded a group in 1949 called The Club. Very simple name. Um, But apparently he actually, other people who were a part of the 
uh, the club uh, of abstract expressionists were people like William de Kooning and Franz Klein. Um, so he actually like was an act- abstract expressionist who hung around with a lot of other well-known ab- abstract expressionists. Um, but yeah, so like I, I think like because this is very abstract, you can interpret it in a lot of different ways. Um, this particular work is called Mirrors. Um, it was from 1961. And like, obviously, you know, I, I first read about this artist and then I started looking at his paintings. So maybe I'm like in the back of my head, I already know he's a scientific researcher, but like, I feel like I'm seeing like splotches of things under like a slide in a microscope or something like, and I mean, and it's also called mirrors. I don't know. Like it's conjuring up these types of ideas in my mind, but I don't, I don't think it has to be that. Um, So again, I think this is, again, an example of someone who's like not necessarily has a like totally merged artistic and scientific life. Um, But I do feel like parts of his artistic um, ideas may have been informed by his uh, other profession. I'm not going to lie. I was really hoping you were going to be like, and this is what it looks like when you put blood into a, a, a certain machine and then you add ink and it actually naturally <laughs> creates this like because <laughs> i just feel like sometimes you those things happen um, and honestly it's entirely possible i just don't like or, or like maybe i just don't know anything about uh flow properties of blood and other biological fluids <laughs> so if anyone is maybe they can tell us um i, I just put another painting of his uh it's a <laughs> Uh, artwork from 1950 called Exploding Notes. And again, I think you can interpret this in a lot of different ways, um, but it looks like some sort of exploding notes. <laughs> this one's really fun. I like how much color it has, um, and it's it's more full than the other piece. And again, this one, I'm not sure, you know, if this is just some abstraction of a notebook uh, that scientists have or something totally different. Um, But yeah, it seemed like he was really into these very abstract expressions um, in addition to being really into the uh, biology. Well, now we have an artist who became a scientist and a scientist who became an artist. Yeah, exactly. Now, this makes me think it's going to be some science stuff. I don't know. I really want it. <laughs> yeah. Ever since I, I found out about the uh, the botanist the botanist photographs, now I want everything to actually be science. <laughs> but so this is, it, it looks like a kind of pointillism. Um, it's all made out of dots. There's a lot of blues and pinks, but it it all comes together to create the shape of a hillside. Um, and there's a little house on the hillside, but mostly it's hills. Um, so this is a uh, painting that was done um, by the artist um, Bridget Riley, and it's called Pink Landscape, which is pretty literal. Um, uh, have you heard of uh, Bridget Riley? I have not. Okay, yeah. So she um, actually, so I only know her from works like this. Um, So here's an example of um, one of her other works. It's very abstract and non-representational. 
sorry, I just put another link, which has, I think just if you scroll down the page, you'll see a lot of different works of hers. Some of them are the pointillism uh, types that we just saw. But then if you scroll down, you'll see um, some works that I would describe as optical illusions. Uh, when I was little, my dad bought me a book um, and it was just an entire book of opt art. And I think some of her works were in it. And again, at the time, I didn't even know who she was. Yeah. So like I basically know her as the, the optical illusions person. But apparently in 1959, so this was actually a few years before she started to go totally abstract in her paintings, um, she recreated a copy of George Seurat's Bridge at Courbevoie. Sorry, this is French again. Um, so it's uh, so George Seurat, which we both, uh, I think, have talked about before, um, who painted the a Sunday afternoon on La Grande Jette is known as the pointillism person. Um, and I didn't know um, that he actually, st he himself studied color theory a lot in his life. Um, and one of the reasons like he started painting in just dots was because he was realizing how um your eyes, you know, have this like phenomena where if you are seeing a bunch of different colors at a certain distance, they combine into other colors. And it seems very obvious to us now, I feel like, uh, but um, at the time, um, things like how the color wheel works and basic color theory was not taught or was not solidified in the way that it is now. So um, anyway, so uh, Bridget Riley actually studied a lot of Seurat's um, discoveries and or not discoveries but basically like what he studied in terms of color theory um and she ended up kind of in a way taking it to the next level of not just because uh, in a way when you put a bunch of color dots and then you back away and and it becomes another color that's kind of an optical illusion already she just kind of took it to an even next level of optical illusion. This is about science, but in a different way than the like botany and insect studies. It's This is more about like studying the science of human perception and how different shapes, different colors, different angles, and different ways that it's composed on a page make us see things that aren't there. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I think sometimes there's a perception that science is synonymous with technology um, and sort of like development of new technology. But this is absolutely science as well. Like it's it's psychology. Um, it's like applying the ways that the human eye, which is also anatomy, I guess, um, is interpreting things and being able to 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 use that for your own purposes in this case creating art optical illusions yeah exactly um and so yeah that's uh why like i think um a lot of the a lot of the examples i had before had that division of like this person was was painting and then they became a scientist or vice versa um whereas in this case like artists themselves are also using science and you know, perception and studies of these things as a part of how they create their art. So if you want to click on the next link, um, and I think um, if you want to describe what you're seeing and also have you seen this before? Hmm, this, okay. 
So what I am seeing is coming off of a beach is a smaller, more artistic beach. <laughs> Basically, like it seems like someone has taken sand and rocks and used it to create a spiral going out into the water. Um, and so uh, there's it's beautiful. There's something kind of kind of makes you feel like aliens did that perhaps um is kind of the vibe <laughs> of this photograph and i don't know if i've seen this specific thing before but i i definitely have in the past seen stuff with like basically um playing with coastline in this way so this is a artwork um, done by the American artist Robert Smithson and it's called Spyro Jetty and it is an example of like landscape art which um, was a type of conceptual art um, in the mid 20th century and continues to be today of course um, but it became pr uh, prominent um, in around the 1960s and it's basically artists using like geology rocks sand all kinds of like natural um, earth materials to make art. And he was really well known for doing that. And so he, yeah, so he kind of started his career with doing a lot of collages and sculpture. And then he eventually moved into doing earthwork and land art uh, is another name for the type of art that he did. So this specific piece, Spyro Jetty, uh, which is this coil um, around the this water. And in this picture, um, I don't know if you can, you'll notice like the water is kind of this like pinkish purple color. And apparently that is because, um, so the location is at the shores of Great Salt Lake in Utah. And um, this was around, he made this artwork around the time when, so when they built the, um, Southern Pacific Railroad in 1959, and it ended up cutting off fresh water supplies. Um, so then what happened was uh, the water ended up having a lot more salt-tolerant bacteria and algae, which eventually turned it into a red-violet coloration like this. Um, and yeah, so he um, like took material and like from the beach and made it into this uh this spiral and he like one of the reasons he did that is one he did want to call attention to this like environmental problem of like what people or what you know we're doing in terms of constructing these big mega projects that end up um, really like devastating the landscape and water and shores which we continue to do all the time um, and um, he but he also wanted to uh, call attention to things like time or things like erosion over time and environments transforming whether in natural ways or uh, via human intervention and he's uh, you know he also did a lot of other works like this um unfortunately he actually died at the age of 35 and because he yeah he was actually making another work in texas and he was serving a site um on an airplane and unfortunately the plane crashed and he died in the accident um so even though, but even though his career was short, he he made a lot of really interesting landscape pieces, um, and yeah, like is or was one of these people that kind of you know called attention to these types of environmental changes. Um, and and again, I really like 
this work, I think calling recalling another episode we did a while ago about disintegrating art. This is another example of artworks that will kind of disintegrate over time. Like a lot of his works have eroded since he made them in like the 60s and 70s and eventually will be, you know, completely eroded away. And, you know, he's expressed that as the intent. Um, so, yeah, which is one of the reasons I find this really interesting. But again, like he comes from uh, this background as well as um, intention of exploring like natural, like geological erosion um, sciences and but also integrating that with um, like calling attention to basically environmental disasters. That is really interesting. And it's it's very sad that he passed away so young. Um, I'd be very curious about like the like the environmental impact of doing this work. Um, I mean, obviously, this piece was made a long time ago, um, and so you know, this <laughs> our understanding of things is different um, and grows over time. But yeah, I'm, I feel. I feel very worried about a piece that is intended to draw attention to environmental impact and is is having this like activism bent, um, but also is potentially like doing its own disruptive disruption of ecosystems. Yeah. And, you know, actually, that that is a good question or a good like or I, I think an interesting like thought to have, because um, so this. I actually I came across this because, uh, again, doing doing double um, with my school topics. So my architecture studio um, topic this semester is about uh, landscape um, architecture and, and studying site. And um, a, there's a lot of soil and sand and geology <laughs> in the things that we're exploring. And th- the question about human intervention in the landscape is a part of it and um and again it's not it's not an easy answer or question to answer but um the thing that has been brought up a lot in a lot of the readings I've come across is a lot of basically a lot of like people are saying that like human intervention in the landscape or in on the earth is inevitable and it's it it have it's happened it happens all the time and will continue to and so we like the, the the idea of like a natural landscape that has never been touched by humans just basically doesn't exist anymore or and hasn't for a really long time and so how our like impact or how our actions impact the environment and what we are doing to the earth is something that does need to be considered obviously doesn't mean that like everything we're doing is good because most of the things we're doing are not <laughs> um and maybe even including the artworks that are done no that is a really good point because there's also there is an extent to which like there's a difference between just messing with a coastline just because and messing with a coastline coastline uh to draw attention to an issue that like um is there disruption through this art making probably but is it having a net positive good if it helps bring attention to like a more pressing issue I'm not a scientist and I do not know the answer to that question, but I see where that like complicates that question. So anyway, yeah. So these are just some examples of, yeah, like artists and science uh, or yeah, people, art, science, 
kind of all jumbled up together. Um, and it, it, it's so it's a topic I've been wanting to talk about for a long time, too, because it's it's a really big part of my life. Like working in architecture has a lot. And again, I'm sure I've brought this up before. There's a lot of um, kind of intermingling of art and science in the work that we do. So so yeah, it's it's a topic that I find very fascinating. Um, so I'll after um, after this, I'll, I'm going to post a bunch of links to in the show notes that has um, links to other artists, and there's so many other examples of this. Uh, listeners can check that out in the show notes. Um, but yeah, do you have any thoughts, or um, do you have any comments about uh, my proposition? You know, art and science—they are not so different. <laughs> I think I agree with your theory uh, that art and science are not so different because I do think that there is so much science that goes into art. And honestly, there's a lot of art that goes into science as well. I'm so glad that you brought people who have approached this kind of relationship from all of these different angles, Um, not just like going from one to the other, but this back and forth or people who are mixing the two in really deliberate ways. Well, that brings us to the end of today's episode. I do not have a transition at all to this next part. Um, (laughs) So I'm just going to start talking. All right. We are actually coming up on the four-year anniversary of Pictorial, and we are doing something really special to celebrate that, which is we are ending the show. (laughs) I I just thought it would be really funny to say it like that. Um, Yeah, it's been so fun to do this show. Um, Unfortunately... Betty and I, as previously mentioned, are both in graduate school and both work full time and want to see our friends and loved ones (laughs) at least once a month. So (laughs) unfortunately, it really has just gotten to the point where we can't sustain making the show regularly anymore. And our lives are both very, very different than they were when we started this So we are going to end the show at the end of this year, right after we pass our four-year mark on episode 85. Just give it a nice little round number to end with. Yeah, I definitely, like you said, things are very different from when we started the show. And it's interesting when we first started in 2019 we had no idea there there, this, there was going to be a pandemic which became a t- which was a time where we probably both had a little bit more free time than usual mm-hmm. but that's not the case anymore um but yeah like doing doing this show has been just awesome like and being able to explore these topics um with you uh, like yeah i've just i've had so much fun and again like i said i I learn so much every single time, not just from the topics that you bring, but also even today, like so many of these artists, I had maybe heard of them or had like a, like a small idea or only have seen certain types of works by them, but then learned something totally fascinating about all of them. So yeah, thanks, Quinn, for just randomly emailing me one day. <laughs> Aw, thank you. It's not quite over yet. We still have four regular episodes left, so two topics each, which is very exciting. We're going to have to pick those carefully. Um, And then for our last episode, we're going to do a general wrap-up. We're going to do follow-up on every topic that we can, since we don't (laughs) tend to do follow-up on this show, but there actually have been a bunch of news stories 
that have popped up recently that are related to stories we've talked about in the past. So we're going to try to wrap up things as best as we can and kind of do a little walk down memory lane of our favorite episodes and artworks that we talked about. So if anyone out there has a favorite episode or a favorite specific piece of art or artist, whatever it is, something that you enjoyed from this show, um, if you could go ahead and email that to pictorialpod at gmail.com, we would love to hear it um, and to include it in our wrap up. So again, pictorialpod at gmail.com, send us whatever you want um, and just let us know if you want your name included on the show. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank you. And we look forward to our next few episodes. They're They're going to be great um and uh, no pressure please, yeah 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 of course um and yeah and we're looking forward to just kind of going through I, I as i said today i don't even remember some of the stuff if we had talked about it or not but this will be a good way to remind ourselves i know gotta jog our memories <laughs> yeah well the next four episodes will be pretty normal we'll remind everybody to email us at the end of each show but again like we'll be pretty normal um until that last episode but in the meantime, um, if you want to see the links to things that we talked about today, those are at relay.fm slash pictorial. Um, we're also on Instagram at pictorialpod, and I'm on Instagram at Rose. And I'm on Instagram as Articulations V, as well as on YouTube at Articulations. And speaking of YouTube, we have a YouTube channel, Pictorial Podcasts, where we have video versions of some of our older episodes. So you can check that out. And when this comes out, there will be a lot of artsy and sciencey pictures. Thanks for listening, art enthusiasts.